Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkis, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, some big news in the Snyder household. Let's start off with a little celebration. Yeah, we should do that. It's it is it is a big day. It's been a long time coming. Um, about eleven years ago, right about here, uh, right after we bought this house, I sort of came down here and started saying, "Hmm, I think I can figure out this this." draft thing and i was real quiet about it for three or four years i didn't put out any work i just lurked and read everybody else's work i didn't i didn't go to any message boards and then i happened across wcg and i was like wow this place seems pretty reasonable there's a lot of people that have really good ideas here and there's not a ton of shouting maybe i should like venture in with a comment and i did and that kind of kicked the whole thing off and here we are 11 years later and uh i quit my day job i am now full time in football so it's it's pretty amazing it's huge change um and it's been a ton of work and there's been a ton of people you included um who have supported me and and helped me learn on this journey and just been there when i've felt like absolute crap and didn't want to keep going and uh Today we're here and I am my own boss now. And that is, that's a hell of a thing. I have to keep the boss happy and that's hard to do. Um, but no, it's, it's worth celebrating. And I, this seems like the most fitting thing we could be doing to celebrate. Well, I'm really happy for you. Um, I think it's, uh, it's really great. I've, I've obviously known the news for a little while. We get to share it with our audience tonight, which is fantastic. I know that a lot of people are going to be very excited for you when they hear this. Uh, those of us that are joining on YouTube, you know, hearing this live, uh, I think that everybody knows just how great of an opportunity this is and excited for what you can do with an additional amount of time unlocked. Uh, that That's kind of what this is all about is you don't have to go to the office. I mean, even if the office was the basement the last couple of years, yeah. um, you know, you don't have to go to the office for the 40 hour a week job that, you know, maybe sometimes that has to have you work overtime or has to send you travel, right? But now like football is your gig. Obviously bootleg is going to be a big part of that. That's what's you know going to be the bulk majority of how, why you can do this. But there's going to be some opportunities for us and with Bears Over Beers to maybe do some things. Um, there's going to be other projects that you're going to have along the way. And it's just, it's really cool. It's really rewarding to see your friends get these kind of cool opportunities. And I'm really happy about that. And I like to celebrate things. I like to celebrate the little things, but I definitely like to celebrate the big things. And this is a big thing. And so when you host a podcast and your podcast partner goes full time into football and your whole shtick is that you have a drink and talk about the bears, I'm like, well, what can I do? Uh oh. And we're coming off a loss. So that means whiskey, right? Yep. And so I said, what bottle can I bring on to show EJ just how big of a deal it is? Because this is not like, pull out the maker's mark. Nope. This is a big deal day. So I'm bringing on this beautiful bottle. Oh, this is Jefferson's presidential rye select. And that is 21 year age, 21 years. And I'm a little bit more that I think you'll like. This is why I grabbed this one. This is batch number one. Cause you and I started this thing. Yep. And this is bottle number 33. Which to us is important because we have made things in our podcast about my favorite player, Peanut Tillman, where's number 33, of course. And there's just like our our Patreon uh, top 
contributor level is $33 in honor of peanut. So it felt like the real bears over beers whiskey to celebrate EJ going full time. So cheers to you, partner. Dude, that's, that's amazing. I I'm touched. I know what that stuff means to you. Um, and, and just, all those levels tied together. Uh, we will celebrate further. Uh, you are going to venture west a little bit later uh, in this year. And I happened to cross a store uh, that I was not familiar with that is close to me. And it is a high-end whiskey store. Thank you, sir. Uh, and I sent you some pictures and said, I think we need to go here. And you were like, yes. And then the story gets better. Uh, because I have a little extra time, I was able to reach out this weekend to a friend I hadn't seen in quite some time, uh, who lives close, but we just, you know how it goes. Sometimes you don't see those people. And I was like, do you want to go get a beer? And like 10 seconds later, I get a text back and it just says, yes. And I was like, cool. So went down to his house, picked him up. Uh, there's a new place near his house and, uh, we sit down, start having a beer. Uh, which we haven't done in a long time. And he says, oh, this is my first beer in like eight months because he did a whole thing where he was doing the clean out. And, you know, and I was like, oh, so this is going to be fun. He's like, no, this is great. This is a, this is, again, a perfect occasion to be celebrating and, and having a beer with you. And I said, oh, I found this great whiskey store. And he said, I know. And I said, oh, really? He said, I said, have you been there? He said, uh, yeah, it's underneath my wife's office. <laughs> the folks that own the building decided that that's what they wanted to do with the ground level retail space. So the folks that own his wife's office opened the store. So they get invited to all the tastings and whatever. And he looked at me and he said, it's a really good place to spend 500 bucks on booze. Oh, and I, I was like, I, I bet. So when, when we go, we will take pictures. We will spread them around on, on Twitter and elsewhere. But that, that is going to be a bit of a pilgrimage for both of us. Cause I've not been there yet. So it, it looks amazing. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. So what'd you bring on for tonight? What'd I bring on for tonight? I brought on an autumn ale, seemed timely and timeless. Uh, it is from Silver City Brewing, uh, a regular on the podcast, uh, right out in Paulsboro, Washington. But uh, as this game was not good, I needed a big beer. So I got a 16 ounce and this one is called the Whole Cone and it's got a pine cone on it. Um, it is 6% by volume, so pretty drinkable, but a full pint of beer. Uh, they describe it as a malty autumn ale, robust with nutty caramel flavor. Notes brewed with uh, an, what does that say? Unkilned whole cone hops that retain more of their essential oils, leading to a fresh and vibrant hop character. So strangely enough, you might read that and think, oh, that's not for me. It's going to be really going to be hoppy uh it's only 31 on the ibu scale so it's right tickling your limit of of what you could handle but um i love the can art big pine cone on there um and i'm all about fall beers with caramel notes uh you know starting to get into that heavier winter beer season so that's what i got and i'm i'm gonna need all of it because uh, <laughs> unfortunately i picked a player on the bears offense and yeah all right we'll crack it open going uh, a couple things EJ's wearing an awesome shirt. Those of you that are listening cannot see it, but it is a really cool shirt. I will describe it. It is Walter Payton in the NFL Blitz uh, background. So great homage shirt. Uh, EJ got a bunch of homage stuff. Check them out. Click our affiliate link. That helps us out. If, if you're thinking about buying that kind of stuff or thinking about looking, use that link. That helps us out. 
And um, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about what we're doing. So this year we're reviewing one player each. Eventually we're going to review Justin Fields again. Still not eventually. Uh, but eventually we we'll got, both. We got to get in. the right game. <laughs> but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna each review a player um, each this week. I decided. I know this is goofy, and I know that some of you are just not going to be that interested. But I wanted to take a look at how the rookie punter has been doing. And so I decided that I was going to go back and I was going to look at actually the first four games because one game isn't enough to look at a punter. But I wanted to look at all four games of Trenton Gill. And then I decided to kind of put together a visual. Uh, so those of you that are watching this on YouTube are going to see more of what I'm saying. I will tweet out the visual so you get an idea of what I did. Um, but I will describe it for, for the listener as well. Um, you won't You won't miss that much, but I think it's worth looking at the visual that I put together. Uh, but basically just... I wanted to see how he's doing. I didn't think that he had done anything positive or negative in the first three games, but the fourth, this last game, I thought, actually, I think he had a pretty good game and I wanted to go back and test my assumptions. And I wanted to see um, what that looks like. If I, if I map that out. So I did the punter you did. I did Darnell Mooney and Darnell Mooney was somebody that came into this season with really high expectations. We'll talk about why. Uh, I think most people that are following this podcast probably know why uh, there was a, a very strong assumption that he was going to have a very good year, possibly even better than he had last year. And he had a very good year last year. He obviously has not the whole bears offense has not um, their passing offense. The bears passing offense has been historically bad. Like it's not just bad, it's terrible bad. It is it is bad with the worst ever bad. Like it is really, really rough. So as a consequence, Darnell Mooney hasn't showed up very much, which is, uh, you know, uh, receivers are out at the end of the whip and everything else has to go right for the whip to crack. And, and there's lots of reasons that a receiver doesn't have production. The line could be bad, quarterback could be bad, play calling could be bad, all those things, any of those things on any given play. So I wanted to take a look because he had a big catch in this game, and I thought, well, that'll be a, a spark of hope. I'll go look at that, and that'll make me feel good because I like Darnell Mooney as a player, as a player. And I wanted to talk about who he really is, um, even when he's not catching the ball. So uh, full disclosure, I made it through one half of football and I had plenty and I had to stop watching because I was super duper frustrated. We'll talk about why, but yeah, Darnell Mooney's my guy this week. All right. So we flip a coin um, this week. I'm featuring the quarter from Michigan pitchered rocks uh, national park quarter came out in 2018. Fair so enough. that is the tail. And then of course, uh, George Washington's face on the, the head. So I will flip and you will call tails. It is tails this week. You have broken your streak. We are off the schneid. Uh, As a result, I'm going to make you go first. That's amazing. This is just, I'm all full of wins today. Today is just win, win, win. And everybody's like, really? The putter? How much do I, how how long did he talk? I'm going to have to skip through this. Uh, Okay. So because I thought that you guys might not want me to just drone on about a punter, I made a presentation. EJ hasn't seen this yet. I haven't, but it looks good. This is Halloween themed. I love it. Well, so um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm trying to give Trenton Gill the nickname, the guillotine, the guillotine. 
I have heard some talk of such. I have not supported that effort to this point. But oh, we'll see if you convince that, me. That's that's unfortunate because it's a great nickname, and yeah. you know he's gonna drop the guillotine. Uh, I, I those, get it. Those punts. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's it's gonna catch on. Uh, the goal is to to get somebody big to to pick that up, and then we get it officially into the Pro Football Reference nickname and all that. So, uh, so this is uh, Trenton Gill punting review from the first quarter of the year. So a little bit about punting. So where let's start off with the fact that the punter is going to line up somewhere between 14 to 17 yards behind the long snapper. And that just depends on the special teams philosophy, the punters comfort level, whatever, but you're trying to get enough distance so that you can get the punt off before you have to worry about a rush blocking it kind of obvious stuff. So if you are punting from the five yard line in it's danger zone because you have likely a shortened uh, drop from where you're used to. And so any punts from inside the five, I would consider it to be just, just the danger zone to think about. And so I'm, I'm showing this as a visual on YouTube for those of you that are listening. The, the thing to think about here is that you're not always going to get a good punt off. Now, now, Gil doesn't have anything inside the five yet, but this for future reference, um, this isn't necessarily a, a booming punt. If you wanted to compare this to golf, which I'm going to do throughout here for the next couple of minutes, um, this is almost like punching out. Uh, like you're, you're just trying to make sure that you you're getting it out and you're not getting it blocked. Um, you're not shanking anything. So if, if there is a punt from inside the five, you have to treat it a little bit differently in terms of your expectations. So the next area would be from about the five yard line all the way to the 35 yard line. So if the punter is from anywhere in that zone, anywhere from their five to their own 35, I would say this is like getting out your driver or at least a, a fairway would um, if you're golfing, right? You can really unload um, and you're, you're trying to get a lot of distance, trying to flip the field. In this range, over the last 15, 20 years, the expected punt in net punt here is about 41 yards. Okay. Now that might have gone up a little bit. My data might be a little bit old from what I was referencing. I do think punting's getting better. It's improving. There are better punters with bigger legs and maybe kind of kicking this up. Um, but for the most part, inside of this range, the like expected net, average net, mean net, whatever you want to say, it's about 41 yards. Uh, less than 5% of, of punts within this range are going to result in a touchback. It would be a pretty big booming punt. You'd need a, you know, you need a roll in a lot of these instances. Um, and so the, that's why you can kind of unleash uh, your big leg if you have one in, in this range. The next range, I would consider this to be kind of your long iron territory, right? Like where you can, it's not quite as, it's, uh, as much as taking out your driver, but you, you, you can hit pretty good. And that's from the 35 to the 45. And your expected net there is about 38 yards. And so touchback percentage in this range is about 10%. So about one out of every 10 kicks you'd expect to um, touch back. And the expected return on something like this is going to be lower. So in that first category I mentioned with, you know, using your driver, the average return when these kicks get, uh, when these punts get returned is about seven yards. 
Um, with with this range, it's about four because you're you're generally getting your coverage down there quicker, um, and there's a lot more fair catches. There's a lot more just bailing out and, and not not fielding the punt. Next range is um, what I would say like your short irons. Again, your touchback percentage goes up because it's easier to just kick it out of the back of the end zone, and so that expected net is less because you have less room to work with, and um, you're going to get more touchbacks or you're going to get. Uh, and you're also going to get more like fair catches and down balls. And then I would say your wedge game would be that last one where you're basically just outside a field goal range. Um, and it's very difficult for punters to control here. So about one out of every four punts will be a touchback in this range. This is the opponent's 35 to the opponent's 45. And your expected net is somewhere like in the, the mid to high 20s. So why I go through all this is because I think you have to break this out when you're trying to figure out expectations for what a punter should be doing. If your punter is constantly punting from midfield and he's constantly using like his wedge game or his short iron game, then that's a different set of expectations in terms of net punting average than it would be if you're constantly punting from your own 20 or your own 15 or whatever, where you can really unleash it. And there are different punters that will excel at different parts of their game. They have that touch ability from midfield or, you know, some of those guys have a, a, a more of a booming ability. So I wanted to be able to just kind of break this out and be able to see what Gil has done so far to see if there's any sort of trends. And then the other note is that this is also a reflection of the special teams. Um, Gil can only do so much, you know, he, if he is able to put enough hang time um, and distance on a punt, it's likely that he'll induce a fair catch, but there are times when, you know, maybe he had a good punt. Uh, it just didn't get covered very well, and that hurts his net. And so I wanted to to take a look at that. Any questions so far, EJ? I I just have to say, as a guy that has steadfastly, despite a, a very deep interest in football, steadfastly avoided special team scouting and talk. I'm actually really impressed. You went you went deep here. This is. I, I don't think I've ever considered this. It all makes sense to me. I love the way that you put it out here. I If you had asked me any of these questions, I, I don't think, I mean, if I sat down with a pencil and paper, I probably could have gotten close, but it would have taken me a while. If you just said, hey, what do you think the you know expected return is if you punt from the 20? You know, I, I would be like, oh, I don't think I would have gotten seven. It makes sense that it goes down to four to two. And then you're expected to return zero when you're basically, you know, should be doing something else like going for it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's fascinating. And I find myself um, a bit surprised that I'm saying that because we're we're, we're talking about punters here. I feel like Alan Iverson's <laughs> we're talking about punters here. And I know punters are people, too, but nicely done. All right. So next page here. So I'm uh, moving that information up so that you can see it. And then we're going to map each game. So against San Francisco, here's what Gill's punts look like. Oh, oh man. Did I lose my animation? No, you're so close. Oh, come on. That's oh, too bad. Oh, oh, oh. Are well, you being let down by, by PowerPoint at the moment? Um, yeah, I am because I, I had an animation there. All right. Well, the animation doesn't work. It will get tweeted out at some point and you'll get to see this, but so Gill's first game had six punts against San Francisco. And obviously we know that it was the monsoon. 
the first four of those punts came in that driver territory. Overall, um, you know, two two of them were not returned. Two of them were returned. Uh, for those of you who can, can see the screen, that that pink dotted line on top of the, the Navy line um, means it was returned and where it got returned up to. So you can see um, his, his punts there. Um, again, I, I guess, uh, uh, like I said, four of them were from that uh, deep territory that the, you know, taking out the driver and his last two were closer to midfield. So he had, um, he had one punt that was a uh, 35 yard net, a pretty good, pretty good punt there. And then the last one was uh, almost midfield from the 45 and he put it into the end zone for a touchback. That's a, that's a pretty poor outcome from what your expectation is. So overall his first game, you know, a couple got returned, had a touchback. He was pretty active. Um, it wasn't really a great first game in his second game against green Bay. He had four punts um, in the, in these punts, all of them came from that deep in your own territory field or, you know, in your own territory. So around the 20, for the most part, if you remember that game, like the bears just could not get out of their own, their own side of the football field. Um, and, uh, this was like second quarter. It was just constantly gill punting from like the 18 or 19, uh, only one of these was returned. It was returned for 20 yards. So above expectations, but for the most part, um, three of the four punts were not returned. It was uh, overall like a, a decent day um, about about what you'd hope for, about what you'd expect. That Against last the, one's a beauty. Yeah, the the last one, the last one's quite good. Fifty seven yard, um, fifty seven yard net on that on that last one. That one is a is a really nice punt. Against the Texans, another four punts. One of them got returned for a big gain. Uh, he did a really nice job on the the punt from midfield. So again, one of those uh, shorter punts where you've got to got to use some touch. He was able to get that down with inside the ten. So that was a at the nine yard line was where that one got down. So that was a really nice punt. That would have been a highlight for him um, if you want to talk punter highlights, I guess. And then again, that that one. What's interesting about the the punt that was returned um, is that it, he did get a lot of air on it. It was a fifty six yard punt um but he kind of as as they say kind of outkicked his coverage and so it opened up for a big return 31 yard return so there's a little bit of, of play here where you know if you boom it you're giving a lot more grass for that returner to get get started and and it's a lot harder for your gunners to make open field tackles and so you do see a little bit of balance and with gill being not the biggest legged guy um, I was curious to see what his his reach would be, and how you know good of a return he would give up um, the, the the team would give up in that instance, and how often he would be able to cover a bigger kick. For the most part, his you know his air air yard kicks from that distance is more in the upper 40s, and they don't get returned. But if he kicks them into the upper 50s, which he has the leg for, um, they usually get a return on them, and they usually kind of even themselves out. There are other punters around the league that can boom them, you know, 60s, even some guys that are, you know, uh, maxing out at like the low 70s. Uh, I don't think Gil has the leg for that. So I don't think we'll we'll, we'll see that unless he has a strong backwind. But uh, that also opens up pretty good return opportunities when these guys are able to do that. And so sometimes it's 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 fine to just take that 
you know, 48 yard punt that has a decent airtime and allows your guys to run down in time to be able to, to induce that fair catch. So, um, and then I'll just finish up here with the giants, uh, game, another four punts, um, two of them, you know, uh, from, from, uh, deep in your territory or that, you know, that driver distance. Um, one of them is a gigantic <laughs> punt. And part of this is, and this is where maybe some punter uh, truthers out there might not like how I did some of the stats, but to me, where you punt from the yardage line, you punt from is where you start. And then where the offense takes over on that next play is um, where I'm going to calculate the net. And so on this particular play, there's a holding call on the giants. And so that adds another 10 yards to, to this mark. It's still an X, it's a 58 yard punt with no return. Um, and, and then you add another 10 yards of holding on there because uh, that counts to me. And I think it counts the other way too. If the return team, if the coverage team um, has a penalty, and that's added on to the kick that counts against him too. So I don't see why in, you know, your coverage team drawing a flag, drawing a holding call wouldn't, wouldn't be to your benefit either. So my numbers may be a little bit different than, than others, but this is how I see it. And this, and this is, uh, this is how I, I mapped it. And then he had another good midfield punt where he was able to get that down to the three. That was this last punt, this last game. And this, this is actually the time where I, I mentioned to Lester, I was like, I think I need to look at Gil because I think he had a good game. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of laughed. He said, are you sure EJ's going to be okay with that? Uh, EJ will let you do what you want because you come up with stuff like this. this so, so then, so what I did is um, for each category, I went through and I looked at what the net, punt yardage was and i um I, I compared that against what the expected was and so for each punt i have a number next to that line that says you know this was you know two yards better than the expected uh, outcome here this was three yards worse than the expected outcome here you know whatever and i went through all of them and so if you tally up the first six games against san francisco he was exactly what you would expect he, he had um, exactly the amount of net yards you'd expect based on where he was punting from. In the Green Bay game, he was actually over um, by 22 yards. He, he uh, beat that expectation by 22 yards. And it was ma- mainly because of his last, his last two punts were quite good. Um, and, and so that put him over. The Texans, he was more even. Um, he was uh, at a plus five overall. The big mark against him there was that, that big return. Um, that was 16 yards less than than what was expected there. So that return took him down, but otherwise his other punts were all positive and took him to a you know above zero for the for the overall for the day. And then again, I thought he had a good game, and this is why you go do this kind of stuff. He uh, was really good against the Giants. So on his four punts, he added 68 net yards over expectation um, from the way I calculated it, um, including. You know, even if you take out that 10 yards from that penalty, that's still plus 58 yards of expected. So he had a really nice game. Um, all of his punts were were better than, you know, th- that expected bean. And, and I think that what I've learned about Gil so far, and I, I want to keep watching him because I think he's, you know, he's going to be part of the team for a while, is that I, I don't think he's got, he doesn't have a huge leg. Um, but I think it's more than good enough 
for an NFL team. This isn't like the equivalent of a popcorn arm. Like this is someone who has a a real punting leg here. Then he's fine and he'll be fine when the weather gets cold. Um, I think that maybe over the next couple of years, you, you will be able to see some growth in that area because he'll have that strength and conditioning program. He'll have that ability to work with special teams coaches at the NFL level that could maybe um, increase that. I think that for the most part, he's doing a really nice job of uh, preventing returns. I think that's uh, there's a lot of touchbacks and or, sorry, a lot of um, a lot of fair catches. There's a couple down balls, um, which which is good. There's a little bit of luck factor in there. He only has one punt that's out of bounds, so it's not like he's doing any coffin corners at this point in in his career. Um, and then just the one touchback. So out of 19. Uh, punts he has just one touchback so you know if you if you're maintaining a, a rate of about five percent touchbacks i'd say that's actually pretty good um, particularly since he's had a few mid midfield punts so that i think that's kind of the the big takeaways that i have for him so far he he has kicked off five times three of those kickoffs have been touchbacks um, that's a pretty good ratio um, so again he he has the leg but I, he's not quite at that level that some of these other guys like towns Tommy Townsend is just like insane. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a couple other guys that just uh, Dickerson for, for Seattle, you know, he, he's got pretty good numbers. Um, again, if you're Johnny Hecker's like a kind of the, the, the old standard punter at this point um, doesn't quite have those, those gaudy, you know, distance numbers, but his, his he's got like an overall really good game in terms of punting. <laughs> and I'm even laughing at myself, but I actually like this stuff. I, I think that the, the punting thing's pretty interesting. And so the, one of the things that I was always frustrated with, with O'Donnell. Um, so his, you know, Gil's pre- predecessor is that O'Donnell was, super average. Like, I mean, just, just everything yeah. just seemed average. He didn't, he wasn't particularly good about um, staying out of the end zone either. He, he definitely had a lot more touchbacks than I think he would have liked. And he's off to a pretty decent start in green Bay. But I, I think what was frustrating was you were paying for like a good punter and you were getting average. And so I, I hate being upside down in a mortgage, right? Like I hate being upside down in a contract, particularly if it's a punter, if you're going to spend good <laughs> money on a punter, then like I want him to be a good punter and, yeah. and O'Donnell wasn't. And so I'm, I'm, if nothing else on a rookie contract and, you know, a sixth, seventh round draft pick, Gill's going to have a very manageable contract for the bears for the next three years. And he's going to outperform that if he's doing this, which to me is above average punting. No, I would agree. Speaking of the upside down part on the punter, I think that's the, the part where I get interested is the roster building piece. And this, this last draft, strange as it sounds again, from a guy that's like willfully avoided scouting special teams. It's a really strong punter draft. Um, It was when we were thinking about going to the shrine bowl last year, one of the first things we met with Eric Calco and he was like, I I gotta say guys, same thing. Don't laugh, but it's a really strong punter draft and we're going to have the best two punters in the draft at shrine. And I was, we were both like, that's that's the lead you know and he didn't he didn't lead lead with it but it's still and we saw this right we had a bunch of punters drafted we had a bunch more udfas and many of them made their teams we saw ryan stonehouse is punting really well in tennessee that guy's got a huge leg um so it it is an interesting piece but you can get them like gill or stonehouse or you know lower rounds of the draft very cost controlled if they turn out to be 
good like this, like above average, that's a fine investment. It's it's kind of like running backs, though. When they come up to pay your punter, if they're not exceptional, don't pay them. You can go get another one, even if it's not a great punter draft, for a relatively cheap fee and come up with at least average punting. That's what I got, man. That's what you got. I'm. I, that's a lot. I am impressed. When you said punter, I thought he's going to be like, yeah, he's good. He's got a strong leg. He's a solid punter. We didn't pay him a lot. What do you have? Um, so that was way more. Uh, and again, I shouldn't be surprised. I've known you for a long time. And uh, that's awesome stuff that we can put it together. And now we sort of have a framework. Like if we want to compare punters, God forbid, um, that we could do it with and say, ha ha, we could use the JB metric for par- punter comparison. Yeah, I think I could probably dial in those numbers a little more, um, try to get them updated. And Yeah, we had a great uh, suggestion in the chat that maybe you color the penalty yards or shade them because I'm all for including them, uh, but it would be nice to be able to call those out and say, and also happen to be, and I think they should be included. If you're going to include returns, which they have equally less control over for the kicking team, you should include penalties, which, you know, more usually on the return team. But um, no, that was awesome. That was really cool. Way cooler than I thought puncher talk might be. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll break we'll, real quick, and then we'll get to the main event here, and you can break down Darnell Mooney for us. Stick with us. All right, EJ. Lay it on me. All right. Darnell Mooney, uh, one of our favorite players, uh, certainly, in the last couple of years. Um, we'll start with the basics like we always do. Uh, Darnell Mooney was drafted in the fifth round. Keep that in mind out of Tulane. He was number 173 overall. So as we talk about his level of skill, his level of production, think about where he came from and what the bears quote unquote paid in draft capital to get him. Not very much. Everybody's, Oh, they threw in a fifth round pick or they traded that guy for a fifth round pick. Fifth round picks never amount to anything. Baloney. Darnell Mooney, fifth round pick, 173 overall. He was drafted in 2020, so this is his third season. He's 24 years old, about average. He is 5'10", 173. Bears website says 5'11". He ain't 5'11". He measured 5'10 at the combine, and I think that might even be a little bit generous, but they did measure him at the combine. He was 5'10". 173, light for any player in the NFL. Um, But that was a no-known. That's the reason he didn't go in the first round is because uh, not a large player. So back to his relative athletic score. We talk about that every week. It's a 7.01, not exceptional because again, size hampered his score. He's small, short, and light. Uh, but speed was the selling point with Mooney always has been since Tulane. He ran a four, three, eight, 40 shows up on tape. He had a 1.54 10 yard split. So again, he's very quick, both in acceleration and top end speed. That was always the ticket with Mooney is he was going to be the guy that's going to be able to take the top off the defense. And that was really, I liked Darnell Mooney more than most. Um, He was a down the board receiver for me, but he has exceeded even my expectations because since arriving at the bears, he has worked very hard to round his game out and become more than just a speed threat. And the very best receivers in the league are the ones that do this, that come in with a good skill or group of skills and then continue to work very hard to round out the rest of their skills so that they become more complete receivers. And the sort of preeminent example of that is Devontae Adams. When Devontae Adams came out of Fresno State, he was not the Devontae Adams we know now. He had all those 
you know, he had that talent locked up in him, but he was not that player. And over the first three years with the Packers, he continually improved to the point where people started saying, I think Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in the league. And then over the last couple of years, Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the league. And it's because of that continual improvement. Mooney showed that in the first two years. He showed a surprising amount of improvement in a short period of time. And that's the hallmark that continual improvement that he can do things. Um, we'll talk about them, some things that you wouldn't expect him to do at his size, like blocking, because that was one of my questions. Hey, does he block? He's little. Is he completely useless there? Does he even try? Or uh, is he good at it? Um, so we'll talk about that. 2021 production is where I want to start. He played in every game in 2021. He ended up with 81 catches, 1,055 yards, and four touchdowns. Yards per target is a really interesting stat. So not yards per catch, which is your average that you see continually, but yards per target. So how many times were you thrown at and what did you end up with? He ended up last year with that very productive year, over a thousand yards at 7.5 yards per target. It's a pretty good mark. Um, so he can produce at a high level in the NFL. This is, uh, you know, the Bears offense was not great last year either. Here's a guy that came in 80 catches, thousand plus yards, four touchdowns as a second year player. That's really good. That's why expectations were sky high this year. Hey, we're going to get Luke Getzey. We're going to have a real passing offense. Justin Fields is going to have another year worth of maturation. He seems to have already a pretty good relationship with Darnell Mooney. You know, mix and stir bears fans got really excited about Mooney. There was talk of, is he a number one was the talk all summer. Can he be an alpha? I didn't really buy into the alpha talk, but he can be a very high level number two. And I think Darnell Mooney, I heard uh, people are out now because the Bears offense sucks in, in general. But um, our good buddy, Dan, who used to be a quarterback in Detroit, was like, I think Darnell Mooney's a three. He said that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm, I think you're wrong, Dan. Like, I think he's a very solid number two. And the, the player that I like to compare him to is Tyler Lockett. And I don't think he's as good as Lockett yet. Let's be very clear about that. Lockett is a better player than Mooney right now. But I think Mooney can be, again, with that continual improvement, as good as Tyler Lockett and a very, very solid number two. I think that's his role in the NFL, and he's shown the skills to be able to do almost all of those things already. And he's you know young and improving. 2022 production. We got to talk about it. It's not great. I talked about it at the top of the show. Bears passing production has been historically low, not just for the Bears, but for the entire league. It is abysmal. It is not just bad. It is like red flag, terror bad, super duper concerning. The, the range from which we see people go into the gutter and never come back. Um, it is bouncing off the bottom of, of passing records. It's super duper bad. We can talk about why, but it is not great. So in 2022, in that environment, not surprisingly, Darnell Mooney has eight receptions for 121 yards. His average per catch is 15.1. Not really worth, you know, talking about his yards per target yet because he's got like 12 targets throughout the season, which is also that's a good one game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For a lot of receivers and no touchdowns yet, quite obviously, because Bears aren't much for passing touchdowns this year. Let's get to the talk about the Giants. What did he do in this particular game? Coming in with all those expectations, the production from last year, the sort of falling on your face for the first three games this year, what did he do against the Giants? Um, production in this game, he had five targets. means they threw at him five times. He had four catches for 94 yards on those five targets. 
hit a long of 56, which I think everybody remembers. That was the first sort of, hey, this is what we expected moment for Darnell Mooney this season. So his average per catch comes out to 23 and a half, but his yards per target is 18.8. Now, remember, that's because he caught four out of five and ended up with 94 yards. Remember last year in that very good season over a thousand yards, it was like 7.5, 18.8, really, really good mark uh, for yards per target. So he's really efficient when the offense was able to take a shot at getting in the ball. We'll start right in again. I'll give the quarter and the time uh, game clock time. Um, in case you don't have access to all 22, you can find the play if you're going through the summaries. Um, first quarter, 13-27, right off the bat. This is the first target and first catch. It's second and eight. The ball starts on the Bears 26, runs a 15-yard, and this is where we get, this is where I'll just put my disclaimer in about route names and what people call them because coaches, offensive coaches, defensive coaches, they all call the same stuff different names. And if I say one and you say, that's not what that is, my coach called it a blank, you'd probably be right. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to say that, and that's going to piss some people off. The language doesn't matter. It is what is the route. So if I have to put a name on this route, it's a hole route, a hook route, or a stop route. He's basically taking off. He's in the inside alignment. His job, it's against zone, is to run about 15 yards, find a place, and turn his numbers to the quarterback. If they do it right, the ball will be on him just about that time. He does exactly that. Runs a 15-yard zone beater route. You can call it whatever you like. He has a good subtle bend in this route that is hard to pick up if you don't know what you're looking for, away from the outside cornerback. So he runs past the short defender because he's going 15 yards. Remember, this isn't a five or seven yard route. So the outside corner drops off again. He was in the inside alignment, the slot alignment. And the outside defender drops off a little bit. And the hard hard corner on the outside who takes him over is on him. And he gives him just a little bit of a lean to the outside, which gives him a little bit of space. And then. He has a subtle bend in between the corner and the safety, gets to his 15 yards, turns around, balls on him, and he basically falls forward for about three more yards. It's a good route. It's very solid. He did his job. Ball was on him, made the catch. Not a lot of run after the catch. That's fine. Like, easily a first down. Great start to the game. We're a minute and a half in. You're like, hey, this could be the Darnell Mooney game. Spoiler alert, wasn't the Darnell Mooney game, but really great, really great first catch. Um, the very next play, Mooney exits, which is weird. We're going to talk about his usage and some of the sort of more head-scratching things that kept me from watching the second half of this game because there's all sorts of weird stuff about this offense, and there's some really cool stuff about this offense. Um, but this offense doesn't work right now. We all know that. And there are a myriad of reasons, and it's because something else breaks or doesn't go the way they need it to every play. It's not one thing. You can't just point at one player or even one unit like the offensive line, although the offensive line was horrendous in this game. It's something else every play because one play, the offensive line will be completely horrendous. They allow immediate pressure. That pretty much calls the whole playoff. If I if Justin Fields grabs a snap, looks up, and there's a defensive tackle in his face, you're not really judging how, how nice the route was from Darnell Mooney because he's never going to get seen. Next play, there's a good pocket. And maybe Justin Fields makes the wrong decision. We'll talk about that later. Or maybe the coverage is good and nobody gets open. It's something different every play, and it rotates. It kind of just rotates. And it's something every play. 
So a lot of good plays get left on the field. And we'll talk about some of those. But at the very next play, after this great gain, Mooney exits. Uh, ESP is open in the route, but Justin bails out of a clean pocket and it doesn't hit him. Like ESP is the only one that really has an open route on this play. Goes in, cuts on the in route. He's open. He's got separation, definitely NFL separation. Um, Justin bails out of a clean pocket and doesn't hit him. So it's like, was the offense bad? No, I guess he drew up a good play. ESP got open. Ball didn't get to the receiver. All right. But it's more that Mooney comes off the field because I'm of the opinion that if you are running a two or if you're running a two receiver set that's not meant for running, i.e. want bigger, heavier guys that can supposedly block better than Mooney or certainly a three receiver set, Mooney should be on the field. Sure. There is no argument for me where Mooney is not on the field in most two receiver sets and all three receiver sets. Right. Unless he just ran 55 yards in the last route and he's gassed. Other than that, he shouldn't be coming out of the game. He comes out of the game a lot. They pull him a lot. And if it's for running, that's a bad thing, as you know, because that tips the, the defense that, hey, if Mooney's not in there and there's two receivers, they're they're running. Um, it's, it's strange to me because he's easily, certainly with Byron Pringle out with injury, he is the best receiver on the field. Like there is, there's nobody better on the Bears roster as a receiver. I don't think you needed to qualify it by saying anything about Byron Pringle. I, I know, but that's the only sort of like, maybe like Byron Pringle is a good professional productive receiver. We just haven't seen him because of injury, but I still think Mooney's the best receiver on the field. So when you get down to two receivers, three receivers, and he's not on the field, I, my first question is why I'm uh, looking it up right now for you. It looks like offensive snap percentage for Mooney in the first four games is Honestly, it's around 90%, 90%, 90%, 94%, 85%. Yeah, it was not in this game. Yep, 85% and, and it gets the Giants. Yeah, and it was, there were a couple that were confusing. There were a couple like, hey, after the big bomb, I get it. He's gassed, pull him out, get somebody there for a couple snaps, get him back out there. But there's this alternation um, early on in the game that I didn't quite get. Um just back to the point about whether or not he blocks. I just made the note. He does block. He puts in a lot more effort than some of the bigger wide receivers on this team. And everybody just always does this with all players that if you're bigger, you can block better baloney. You know, this from playing offensive line, that is not a truism. Those two things are not connected. You can have little guys that block great. You can have big, big guys that block terribly. Mooney puts in effort and, you know, because he is a little bit shorter, he gets good leverage. He gets into people's chest plates and he gets in the way and he frustrates defensive backs who who are typically who he's blocking. You don't want to use him on a wham block. He's just not big enough. Right. But in terms of getting in nickel corners, especially from the slot alignments face and getting up under their pads and, and doing all the things you need to do, dropping your butt, keeping your feet moving. Mooney tries, he puts in effort and he he's basically effective. He gets pushed around a little bit, but his guy doesn't make the play because he stays between him and the ball. So, that's impressive given that he's again, 5'10, 174. Uh, next play I want to talk about, and this is a what could have been play. This uh, this has been on social media a lot this week. Um, I wanted to talk about it. This is quarter one, 1054 is the game mark. This is the Cole Komet route, and I put what could have been play. Um, so Mustafer, Sam Mustafer, God love him, had a terrible game. Uh, on this particular play, he gives up immediate pressure to the nose tackle and, ju and Justin has to roll out to his left and he sees the pressure, does a good job saying, whoops, this is, this is screwed up. I'm not going to do anything here. He rolls out to his left and he does get his eyes back up. A lot of people said, oh, if he just got his eyes back up, he could have seen Cole Komet. Well, 
Justin goes back. He rolls out to his left and he does reestablish. He gets his eyes up for a second, which is the thing that really confuses me because typically if you see a quarterback roll out, doesn't get a throw off. It's typically because he never reestablished. He never got his eyes back up. He didn't look. He just said, I'm running. And he went. And that's what I thought when I watched uh, the initial all 22 angle from the side. And then I watched the end zone angle and you can clearly see Justin's head when he loops out of that pocket and he rolls out for a second, his eyes come up. He sees the field for a second, just a second, but that's all you really need. And then he, he tucks it and runs and takes off. And this is where people said, look, he could have had Cole Komet on that play. And it is, it's an easy completion. Cole Komet had been cruising on an out route. He went basically up the hash. He's headed towards the sideline. He's got at this point, five yards of separation. Like he, there's nobody near him. He's having to slow down. So he doesn't just run out of bounds. But at the moment when Fields' eyes come up, there's one blocker taking care of one rusher in front of him, so it's not like he couldn't see over the line. And Cole Komet's standing out there by himself at seven yards, past the sticks, and I'm fine if he takes that throw. It's an easy completion. It's a chain mover. That's that's winning football in the NFL. you got to take the throw that's there, right? Take the throw the defense gives you. So it was there. Initially, I thought, hey, he got flushed immediately. He never got his eyes back up. I'm going to give him a pass on that one. He did get flushed immediately. He's a great athlete. Got outside, made himself some space, got his eyes up. Cole Komet's standing right there in front of him. He's not being he's not being blocked by the blockers in front of him. And he just he doesn't let it go. He never legitimately thinks about throwing it. He just tucks it and runs. So I'm kind of with folks that said, hey, he could have hit Cole Komet. Problem is, I'm not studying Cole Komet. I'm studying Mooney on this one. Mm-hmm. And this is an inside out concept where Komet is lined up as the tight tight end on in line on Mooney's side. Mooney is in a tight-ish alignment, but he's the only receiver on that side. And what he does is run a clear out, essentially. He runs in towards the linebacker, levels out, heads up towards the safety, and then he goes out to the corner. He's basically dragging defenders out of this flat area so that Cole Komet can go up the hash, turn left at seven yards, and have no safety and corner hanging out with him, but rather be trailing a linebacker, which is exactly what happens. So this is back to Ken Getze design plays. Yes, this is a well-designed play. There is one option wide open. Justin doesn't take it. The problem is I'm looking at Mooney (laughs) and Mooney runs the first two thirds of that route at about two thirds speed because he is just dragging guys. He is not beating them. He is, he's running fast enough that he's a threat, but they don't go with him. And the defense doesn't respect the pass right now because they don't think Justin will do it. They've they've watched the tape and they know that late in the play, he's not going to pull his eyes up and go way downfield. Problem is, even at about two-thirds speed, Mooney burns this guy by three yards. And the the deep corner <laughs> bites on Komet's flat because he thinks that's likely. So he's like, hey, if Justin lets that go, I'm going to have to come downhill and make sure he doesn't get another free eight yards. I'm going to have to push him out of bounds. So well before Mooney goes by him, that guy bites and comes down from depth. Mooney's defender is trailing him by three yards at the 15-yard line. So there's 25 yards more of space. At the moment, Justin looks up. That one split second where he rolls out and he looks up and yeah, Komet's there. But if he sees Mooney, Mooney's got 25 yards of space. The guy's three yards behind him and he's coasting. Justin Fields can hit that throw every day of the week with his eyes closed. 
Like, this is not a hard throw physically for Justin Fields. If he throws it, it's a touchdown. Like, Mooney's going to get under it. The guy has no chance. He is three yards behind him and trailing. And he's not even seriously, like, defending him because he's like, this is not going to throw it. I don't need to be close, right? It's not like playing Justin Herbert or Josh Allen right now where, like, you have to defend every bit of the field down to 35 yards because those guys can just unleash it off one foot and make you do that. But if he had looked up and seen him, it's a touchdown. They leave a touchdown on the field here. Now, is it a tough play? Sure, it's a tough play mentally to pick it up with immediate pressure in your face. Physically, is it a tough play? No, physically, this is a walk in the park. They've done this a hundred times in walkthroughs. And he would have hit him, and it would have been a touchdown. So that one's tough because everybody's focusing on Komet. And sure, that's an easy first down. Would have been happy if he took it still plus play. But Mooney's out there. There's nobody's going to catch him if he just lofts that ball up into the corner of the end zone easy touchdown so the seeing it part very difficult the throwing it part very easy tough to see i get it but tough to see okay well add that one to what i didn't even know i was mad about before we started oh yeah there's one coming that'll make you a lot more mad because it's even easier and that one really gets me that's why i didn't watch the second half just spoiler alert i i got to that one and i was like ah damn it uh so quarter one nine forty two this is weird. This is another design thing where I love what the offense is doing and I love what Getsy's putting together and then they don't use it. And it, I just, I'm left scratching my head. So quarter one, 942 left. They ISO him to the boundary. So when I say boundary, it's when you're on the hash mark and you're tight to the sideline. You're closer to the hash mark on the sideline. That's boundary. The open side is called field. So boundary, field. They ISO him to the boundary near the goal line. They're on the 14-yard line of the Giants. And they actually do this by design. This is by structure. So Komet starts on his side. So there's both of them on the on the boundary side. And Komet goes in motion specifically to drag the safety off of him. And this is single high coverage. Giants played a bunch of single high in this game because, again, they didn't fear Justin being able to hit the corner hole shots because he hasn't done it yet. So they were like, prove it. So they played a lot of single high, brought an extra guy down in the box. They do that. The guy goes with Komet. He bites. It's man. Like instant indication. Komet goes across the formation, clears out. They've got Mooney, boundary side, ISO, one-on-one to the corner with 24 yards worth of space to work with. If this guy you believe is has the best relationship with your quarterback and is the best receiver on your team, you just got everything you wanted. That's the candy store in the NFL. You got singled up, one-on-one coverage in one high. Safety's got a bunch of bunch of territory to cover if he's going to get to it you can throw lots of different routes here you can throw a little whip route uh, it depends on the release you can throw that little three fade corner that you used earlier in the game there's lots of choices you got the the, the menu is open they use him to block <laughs> and i'm like man you had it you like you did all that you set it up and it gives your quarterback pre-snap read. This is man, single high. I got one-on-one with my best receiver. Let's go, right? And they use him to block. And I was like, you did everything right. You got what you wanted. And then you said, nah. And it. so is the play design right? Yeah. Did he audible away? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have all those answers. But from a field perspective, you're like, beauty, go for it. Like, take a shot. This is a great place to take a shot. You got enough space. You got a great matchup. Go do it. They don't do it so let's talk about something happier 
And the funny thing is the Giants didn't even care about the pass on that play. They had no respect for it. So that means 50% of the playbook's basically out the window. If they're not even like, they're just like, it's a run. He's not going to throw it. So they, they're all coming, right? And they do on that particular play. Even though they use in the block, they crowd the line. They they basically snuff the run out like it's a two-yard gain or something. Like They just didn't even, they were they were going forward from the snap. There, there was no like, oh God, he's going to the corner. He might throw it. So that that drives me nuts. Quarter one. Five minutes left, quarter one, the bomb. This is just the bomb. Ball on their own 19, great design. Play action shot versus single high. Corner's got an eight-yard cushion with outside leverage. That means he is basically butt to the sideline, and he is going to try and force that receiver back to the inside to his safety help, but he is going. It is one-on-one from the get-go, right? They use a play action look. Draw linebackers in. It works. Justin comes up. His head comes up the way it should. He's got a good base. And Mooney does a great thing here. He sells this. The corner is Adoree Jackson. Used to play for the Titans. Good corner. Athletic guy out of USC. He turns his hips inside at 15 yards. He gives him one jab step. And Adoree Jackson has to turn those hips to the inside and then he basically goes back around. So Dory Jackson ends up turning all the way around to run with him. And that's because he knew, Mooney knew, that the, the ball is designed to go to the boundary. And he wants a little more space to give Justin a wider box to throw that ball in. So he gives him just a little, like, it's not even really a jab step. It's like a weighted step inside. And Dory Jackson bites enough, and then he reverses. And Dory Jackson's like, crap, I just stepped in the bucket. That's what that's called. I just stepped in the bucket. Now I have to turn around and run at speed. And he does a pretty good job. He's with him on this reception. But uh, Mooney just presses his boundary shoulder and, you know, runs. But this is just a run after that. The move is great, but it's just go get it. This is a straight PA deep shot. Go get it. Hangs it up there. Mooney makes a great basket catch. You know, no yards after the catch isn't able to keep his feet. I'm not going to worry about that. It's a 54 yard game. Like beautiful PA shot, single high coverage receiver runs a nice route, gives himself some space against the corner. Justin lays it out there. This is like, Hey, this is how this passing game can work. And that's the frustrating thing is it can look that good one play and then the next play something goes wrong or many things go wrong and it looks completely like dog doo-doo. So um, they run a lot of tight sets with Mooney. I mean, just in general, the Bears are in top five in running tight sets. That's, you know, receivers packed in. Um, you know, the Rams have been very famous for running tight sets. We're seeing a lot more of them in Minnesota because it's Kevin O'Connell brought that with him on the offense. Gets he runs a lot of tight sets. Tight sets are not great for Mooney. He's better in space. He doesn't need the compaction. And the offense really isn't using the advantages of those tight sets. But the Bears are doing it a lot anyways. They are not spreading it out wide near as much as they as they might. Here's the one. They run a three wide receiver, two tight end set, and he's not on the field. So this is a five receiver set, basically. One one tight ends in line, so you're not going to call it a, a five receiver set. And he's not on the field. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, how is he not in your top five targets? He's definitely in your top wide or three wide receiver targets. Top three. We talked about that earlier. Why is he not on the field for that play? And he didn't, he didn't just have a 54-yard reception. So 
there's some questionable like okay and like you said his usage sounds pretty good high 90s high 80s like sounds like he's always out there he should always be out there unless he's gassed because he's a really good player quarter two 13 16 we're in the second quarter now three wide receiver formation mooney's in the slot which is where he is most of the time when there's three wide receivers out there uh nobody separates this is this is one of those things, including Mooney, like everybody's covered. Justin scrambles. He gets a good gain. This is one of the scrambles that he held up the middle and a little spin move at the end. You might remember it. Um, it was a good choice by Justin. It wasn't that he missed anybody. Just nobody separates. That's that's a thing. Decent play. Nobody separates. Just makes the right call, pulls it down, gets some yards. So it's not that like Mooney's winning every route and Justin's just missing him. Um, that was one of those plays. It was like I would have pulled it down too. there's nobody to throw it to. <laughs> next play are you familiar with mesh do you know what mesh is sure okay so mesh is basically for listeners that don't know what it is it's two receivers running a cross route basically in the middle sometimes they're designed to go by each other sometimes they're designed for one player to be basically a pick to try and run off the other defender um there's a bunch of different ways to run mesh runs it's it's a hugely popular play in college everybody runs mesh in college and a bunch of different variations Getsy runs mesh in this game and he uses Mooney as the pick <laughs> and he gets level. He gets knocked on his ass. Like the, the defenders have none of it. Defenders are fully aware how to defend mesh at this point. If you played in college, like you played against a lot of mesh and he just, he's like, all right, fine. You're going to pay for it. It's like a pick in the paint and basketball, right? Fine. You're going to come, but you're going to catch an elbow. Yeah. Mooney catches an elbow ends up on his ass. Um, I was just like, that's interesting because the other guy was ESP. Like, ESP is a really yeah, large, well-built receiver. Yeah. yeah. Get the little fast guy free in space. How about them apples? No, nope. they ran mesh, and Mooney was most definitely. It wasn't an accident. Like, he was he was looking for that guy, and he found him. The guy found him, too. So just some questionable stuff about, I, you know, maybe it's, we used to call that stuff too cute with the Bears. Like, you're just trying to get too cute. Like, don't run mesh with Mooney as a pick. That's just dumb. Don't do it. Like, it's not expected, but it also doesn't work, so. Let's let's not do that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of, I think, translation uh, mistakes from Getsy early on in his tenure. Where are you? Do you know what you're good at? Do you know the yeah. athletes that you have on the field? And more so, do you know the athletes that you're playing against? Because there were a lot of questionable decisions of running into a really good Giants defensive line. And it's like, stop with the like condensed set bs and thinking that you can out muscle dexter lawrence like i three I really good defenders the, yeah on the preview show i said 97 I, is the guy that they're I gonna have to figure out do that and Ugh. and that's the thing is look the whole offense isn't working so we could throw darts all day at, at miss assignments and, and bad choices and whatever else but when you see something that's a really basic call you line up and the giants have their three behemoths in there they have their three Heavy defensive tackles, tight yardage down by the goal line. Bears come in in a somewhat spread out set for once, which is good. You have some space to work with, but the call was run and there was no subterfuge. Like they lined up three tanks right in a row. Bears only had five linemen tight. Again, it was a spread set. And the call was basically middle give, right? It's basically a 
give and read, right? And it goes nowhere. And like, that's a play you audible out of. You're like, they have three defensive tackles locked in. We only have five guys there. We can run our back out, wheel, flare, whatever. Like, you need to have something to the edges there. And they don't. They just run right into it. And that one galled me, too. So I know the one you're talking about. Yep. Um, and it wasn't the only one. No. Exactly. So uh, nice deep out completion. Quarter two, 502 left before halftime. Um, balls on their own 30 at second and five. Mooney is singled up to the boundary. It's a two back shotgun set. So they have two runners in there flanking Justin in the shotgun. Um, Mooney breaks this one at 18 yards. This is a straight out route run 18 yards, break hard towards the boundary. Um, he has a clean win. This is another really good subtle piece of footwork from Mooney. He could just run that and give it a sharp break and hope to snap it off because he's really quick and, and beat the guy. Instead, there is a subtle lean right before the break where he looks like he's going to go post right at the stem, right at the point where the, the corner knows the route is going to be made. And right then he gives a little shift. And again, he gets the corner to spin three quarters around because he leans just enough to the inside that when Mooney makes the hard break to the sideline, he's got to turn three quarters. That's easily enough separation. Ball is underthrown. Mooney has to go down to the turf to get it. He digs it out. He makes a very nice play to stay in bounds and make the catch. Um, you know, ball is thrown exactly at the break, not before. A lot of times when you're looking at these and you're looking for anticipation throws, you're you're hoping that there's enough connection there that he's like, he's going to break. So I'm going to throw it a little bit before. And when he turns, it's going to be right on him. Justin has enough of an arm that he he throws it right at the break, like literally as he's turning. This is still a big boy throw. A deep out in the NFL with pace is you got to get that thing there. And it was a little bit short, but I'm not going to really fault Justin for it because he stood, delivered the throw. It was a long completion. It's a first down for the Bears. Um, Mooney, you know, basically bails him out, digs it out. No chance for Yak, but that's okay. It's a completion. They move the sticks. I'm not going to get. You know, I'm not going to get too fine a point on this one. It was a good long completion, well run route, decently thrown ball. Bears convert. Yay! Let's just let's just hang a positive sign on that one and move on to the next one. This is the worst one. This is the this is the bad one. This is the one that basically stopped me from watching the second half. So, um, yeah. All right, uh, let's let's well let's yeah. hear it. Nah, this is a TD left on the field. So it's third and 10 on the Giants, 35. Trips to the field. Two wide receivers, one tight end. Mooney is the furthest inside. He's lined up in the tight slot. Mooney runs middle post. He basically just takes off and runs down the hash mark. And the defense busts. The defense flat out busts. Or they just don't respect it, whatever. Uh, defensive coordinators would call this a bust because nobody goes for them. And there is no defense designed where nobody's supposed to go with the wide receiver down the middle. Somebody was supposed to go with him. The deep safeties separate out. And even before he's by the middle linebacker who bites and is going in basically, I think to try and kind of spy on Justin Fields. Um, so middle linebacker comes in safeties go out. Mooney's running up the seam. And it's a clean pocket. This is this is the worst. Um I I will attempt to show you this. Uh let's see. Present the screen. I'm gonna show you this real quick. 
might not be a super big picture. All right. Is it actually sharing? It doesn't look like it's sharing. There we go. Okay. That's it. That's the end zone all 22 angle right there. That is the pocket that Justin Fields bailed out of. About 0.5 seconds after this particular take, he bails. There's no reason he just bails. Like, that is a clean, clean pocket. That is a really nice pocket, especially for the Bears this year. You can see Mooney at top left of the frame. He is already by the linebacker. The safeties were already breaking out. This wasn't like a hang, and then they left, and so it kind of looked like they were already gone, but... Oh, if you back up the film there. No, they were already committed. They, they This is a bust. This is a flat-out bust. Justin Fields has a straight-up clean pocket that he could step up in. He could just set. Again, this is not a hard throw. Mooney is running untouched to the end zone right there. All he has to do is get it over his shoulder. This is a lob. This is a 20, 25-yard throw in the air. Straight down the middle. Never, he won't see an easier touchdown this season. There was nobody there. Nobody was going to turn around. Nobody, you know, middle linebacker, you know, was already basically stepping forward. It's not cover two. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be cover two, but he can't carry with Mooney. Like I'll take a Mooney on a linebacker every day, but you can see he's already by him, even leaving the whole bit clean pocket. Just can make that throw in his sleep. Instead, like half a second after this, he Break stride and just heads out to the right. He he never even looked at cutting and loose. And Mooney was like, ah, ha, ha, because the safeties continued on to the outside. And he's looking around and there's nobody for like 15 yards. And he's like, oh, man. And I, I get it. Not all quarterbacks see receivers every play. I get it. You do not see the entire field. This one hurts because he had a clean pocket. He had time. Can easily make the throw. And Mooney wins clean, clean, clean. Like he wins early. There's nobody behind him except green grass. They're at the 30 or 35. Like he just lobs this thing up and it's a touchdown. So there's two of those in this game and you're not going to hit them all. But like if Darnell Mooney catches two touchdowns in the first half and has like over a hundred yards, the bears are comfortably ahead of a not great giants team. And they win this game going away. Like I fully believe that they rely on their running game. And as long as they don't make egregious mistakes, it's a completely different game. If he hits, Honestly, either one of these throws doesn't even see either one of them. Doesn't let it go. Um, it's got to be frustrating for Mooney because he knows how open he was. Um, and then halftime comes. There aren't any other significant plays for Mooney halftime. I didn't subject myself to the second half. I saw him block. I saw him run a couple of good routes. I saw him get hit twice on on what were good routes and make, make you know complete the catch. Did that a couple of more times in the second half. Saw him get missed on two basically wide open touchdown throws the first one definitely tougher to to pick that up especially with pressure coming in your face the second one there's no excuse for that is a clean big clamshell pocket plenty of space receivers right in your line of sight he's running untouched you just didn't see him and it happens but boy does it hurt against a team like the giants who you could have uh, one touchdown makes a huge difference against a team like the giants it's not like the chiefs where they're just going to keep scoring them um the offense designed up some plays. Sometimes it was a must for bust. Sometimes it was fields, you know, bailing out of a clean pocket. Sometimes it was not seeing routes that were open. Sometimes the receivers never separated. It just rotated around and it kept this offense ineffective, um, kind of toothless. And that's why the Giants were able to stay in the game. That's why the Bears lost. And it's it's frustrating because they're, it's there. Like the design is there. 
The players are there. I realize that they're not the best players in the NFL. We all knew that going in, right? But they're good enough to get some of these. Again, not even all of these. You don't have to hit them all. Um, you know, Komet, as much as I trashed him a couple of weeks ago and he deserved it, he got open in this game a couple of times and it wasn't his fault that Justin was already getting swallowed by a defensive tackle, but there was a seven, eight, 10, 12 yard gain for him to get that again, Justin can make the throw. So it's, it's really frustrating to watch this offense right now and then go watch any other team's offense because you're like, Oh, look, they move the ball. They sustain drives. They, you know, they might not score all the time. They might not win all the time, but in terms of being on the same page and getting results, just about everybody's better than the bears right now. And that's really hard. Yeah. I, I mean, there's been some good running, uh, some good run plays and some creativity. You know, it's not just, it's not just all David Montgomery, all Khalil Herbert. I mean, I know we kind of highlighted that as, you know, Hey, they, they really created a lot of this on their own, but you know, there, there are some pretty creative run plays and some creative schemes we haven't seen in Chicago over the last few years. And so that's refreshing, but yeah, the passing game is, is some kind of terrible. And so it's, you know, I'm not sure where, what it all is, uh, but it's, it's clearly something that there's only one way to go. <laughs> you just, you can't get worse than what we've seen. I think my original thought on that, that last, that second touchdown uh, that was not attempted there um, that you, you talked about mm-hmm. was that I did, I don't think he saw it and now, no. now clearly he should have, but I think that he, I, I, my, my thinking was that he saw Herbert take that, uh, yeah, that little out route, whatever from gets out of the mm-hmm. backfield and he, he drags that linebacker with him and everything just op- opened up and he saw nothing but green grass. And he's like, well, I'm just going to pick this up with my legs. Like I see it, I'm triggering and I'm, I'm going. And what's weird about that is last year, it seemed like he wouldn't do that. Like he was almost insistent that he would right. not run first. Like he was going to find the throw. He was going to hold on to it. And, and on that, in that moment, it was like, I've got a path. I can, I'm, I'm going to get a first down here you know, we're going to get closer. Like it, it just, it was so different than the, the fields that we saw last year where it was looked like he was always hunting for those bigger throws. And it was just this moment where he's like trigger go. And, and he, he took off without a lot of hesitation. And so I don't know what his, you know, read progression was. I don't know what he saw. I don't know that he saw. Yeah. It's funny. And we got a comment about this from John that flu said that Mooney ran the wrong route as a teachable moment and everything else. But in terms of like what Justin did physically in the pocket and I don't bl- let, let's get this out there first. I don't blame him at all for this. He does not trust that he's going to get a second to throw. And here he clearly has a second, like even the guy that looks like he's getting the biggest win from that picture I showed from the giants defender. He actually reverses and tries to go back across Braxton Jones and Braxton holds him. Like, and I, I totally get that that doesn't typically happen, right? Like when I say holds him, I mean, keeps him out of the pocket, right? He doesn't hold him, hold him. Um, But Justin's brain right now is not wired that, Hey, I'm going to get a second. I just need to take it and step up. His brain right now is flash of color. Oh shit. I got to go because they're going to be on me. Turns out on this play, nobody was going to be, but I don't blame him one bit or feeling gun shy right now because he has every reason to be. You could I could pull up 10 other plays from this game 
where he had less than 1.5 seconds before he had somebody like grabbing his jersey, which is ridiculous. So he's not at a place where he could mentally or physically stand in and go, hey, wrong route or not, that guy's open. So I'm not, this is not me heaping on Justin. This is, this happened and Several other quarterbacks in the league would have made that an easy touchdown feast. Justin is nowhere near there, and I don't blame him for a lot of that, which especially in this game, look, you and I both know the line failed the Bears in this game. They were they were terrible for the most part. Um, so it's it's a myriad of things, and it is not as easy as pointing a finger at Sam Mustafer or Justin Fields or Cole Komet or anybody else because it's all of them at some time, and it's just unfortunate they don't they don't get all their bad plays out at once and get a few good ones out at once too. There right. are very few places where it works like it's supposed to. The offense looks like a unit, plays like a unit, and they get the right you know decision slash result. Um, so you just end up with this frustrating mishmash of well, it was a good play, or well, that was a good route, or oh, that throw was open, I didn't see it, but there's all this other stuff that keeps it from working on a regular basis. Let's leave it there. We will review Mooney later on in the year. I know he's a young player looking for a second contract. We'll get back to him. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to highlight a big, you know, 130 yard, two touchdown game at some point. Uh, but, but there's a little look at Darnell Mooney, at least the first half. Definitely had some excitement, some, some opportunities that were left on the field. Uh, let's circle back to the drinks. Um, I don't know why I, it doesn't matter what I say about this. Cause you can't find this. This is not a, yeah, thing it's, it's not a thing you can buy. Time, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, I actually bought this when I paid off my student loans. Um, this was the bottle that Strong. I bought to like uh, celebrate that. So that, yeah. so this bottle has been around for a while. Um, a little bit. I, I paid those off about six years ago, maybe. And so, uh, that's, that was the origin story of finding this. And, and this was back when I could go into my local liquor store and say, Hey, do you have something like fun behind the counter that yeah, I yeah. could buy that to, to celebrate? And, and I had a good enough relationship where they, they sold me this. You can't do that anymore. Like they, they don't yeah. do that stuff anymore because everything is, everything's highly allocated. Everything's crazy. Um, you know, you, you have to get into raffles or you have, you know, you have to yeah, pay yeah. secondary for some of this stuff, which no, thank you. I, I will never find another bottle like this, uh, in the wild. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a cool bottle. It means something to me. I'm happy to share it with you virtually <laughs> as long uh, as you don't drink any of it. Don't well, I mean, I'd, I'd happily I pour you a dram if you, you were here, it. but um, to share it with you virtually, uh, to celebrate your big news. And, um, yeah, it's, it's delicious. If you for somehow ever come upon something like this, take the opportunity to take a sip. You never know. And, and I usually do, uh, one of my, um, one of the more fun things over the last four or five years is, is having more of those opportunities, uh, before they were very few and far between. I went to, you know, visit my family in Ireland and, uh, one, offshoot of my family owns a bar they own a pub so like they had us in at 11 in the morning and we were the only ones in there and they're like what do you want and i was like i'll just have a and then i was like no no don't say that <laughs> look around a little bit find something reasonable because their family they won't say no and, and you can try something good but now um you know brett's got a great collection you've got a great collection i've been to i've, I've seen some more of 
the stores like the one we're going to go to. And, and, um, I take those opportunities now. If somebody's if somebody's gonna be willing to share something really cool, really rare, really special with me, I I'm more than happy to try it. Um, so it's it's I, I get more enjoyment out of that as I get older, I guess, um, which is really cool. Uh, the whole cone um, is delightful. It is not super heavy on the sugar or the caramel flavor um, is not super heavy on alcohol. So it's quite a drinkable beer. You could have a couple of these and survive. It would be just fine. Um, it's got a nice flavor combination. It kind of on the can, I was a little worried. I was like, okay, sort of hoppy, piney and caramely. Like that doesn't really seem, how, how's that going to work? So I was more curious than anything. I have a lot of trust in silver city. Cause I like their, their brews and their brewmaster in general. Um, it works. It's, uh, I, I don't think I would want like a whole flat of it, but you know, it came in a, in a four pack of the 16 ounces and that is, I was like, fine. I will have no trouble finishing those. Um, they will, they will go pretty quickly. So good stuff. Perfect. Uh, just to close out 10 minute drill with Robert Schmitz and I, we've been having fun. Um, people have been making fun of my bald head and I understand, uh, but it is what it is. It's shiny. It is it um, is. We talked know. about a hat solution, like a matching yeah, yeah, fedora. I mean, like a fedora or something yeah. like yeah. a, like a fancy hat to go with the, you know, cause I got the, the sport coat, the bears sport. One coat. of my favorite words you need to visit a haberdashery. Haberdashery. That's um, the name of a hat store. Like sure. High -end uh, hat store. Yeah. And, and talk to the hatter. <laughs> and I uh, have the Sunday morning gambling fantasy show. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, be great if you came by with questions. And, you know, we care about your fantasy team. We care about your your betting slip. Uh, come by with your your thoughts and get some people that are better than me. Um, you know, Ross, Ross knows his stuff and the gambling stuff. We're having good, profitable time. Last week was not so great on the the betting part of it um but we did do well on the prop bet part and then eric knows more about fantasy than anybody i know um he literally is an editor of one of the best fantasy sites out there and he'll answer whatever question you have like take advantage of it uh, do so, that yeah join us on sunday mornings uh every sunday morning on second city gridiron youtube what do you got um the regular, as long as the patient recovers, uh, Brett uh, ran himself ragged for the first month and got really sick when he was in Florida. So we missed our Thursday night live live stream last week. We did not have a podcast this week either because he basically couldn't talk. Um, been communicating with him. It sounds like he might rally for tomorrow night. We will sort of play that one by ear. It'll be a game time decision. But if so, um, you know, Colts Broncos, pretty interesting game. Uh, both quarterbacks in new surroundings, neither one. Uh, kind of working out like the fan base hoped they would. Uh, so it makes for a really interesting matchup. So if that goes off, it'll be on the bootleg YouTube channel about half an hour before kickoff. Uh, and then we'll get back to our regular ways of the weekly podcast coming out on Tuesdays um, next week. And that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, might, might be doing a couple of office renovations, some small ones. Um, is Brett questionable or doubtful? Great question. Uh, if I had to say yesterday, it would have been, out <laughs> um today uh, i think he's progressing from doubtful to questionable he's he's improving he's getting some of that stuff off his lungs so there's a decent chance we'll go tomorrow but uh again we'll just sort of wake up and see how it goes uh it's been a little bit weird not to have the the regular platform this week i had this I had a lot of great points and i just haven't quite figured out how to get them out in the meantime but uh you know we'll get back to the we'll get back to the regularly scheduled programming next week 
Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And uh, we will see you here next week. And uh, until then, bear down.